Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Have you heard of the, um, the myth of Sisyphus? Uh, does, that, does that ring a bell at all? This is, the, this is a guy from mythology who, who was cursed by the gods to push a boulder uphill and then it would fall down the hill and he had to push it up the hill. That, that was his whole life, his whole eternity, pushing the boulder uphill. It never would get to its destination. It would just fall down again, pushing the boulder up the hill. And uh, on this Labor Day weekend, I bet some of y'all feel like your labor, your work, your job is like Sisyphus, just pushing the boulder up the hill. It's drudgery. It's pointless. It's, it's a curse, maybe. I, uh, maybe I've told this story before, but I've had some bad jobs, uh, present uh, company excluded. And uh, <laughs> there was a time as, a, as an 18-year-old where I worked at Bubbles Car Wash in Alberta. I don't know if that's a chain out East here, but uh, Bubbles Car Wash is, you know, sort of this uh, hand wash car wash that comes through like an assembly line. And I was in what's called the wash rack, and I just had like one side of the car to do. And it just was like this assembly line, back breaking work. And so I just like do tire hubs and just do this for like eight hours. Actually, when there was a lull, which was rarely, they'd make you punch out and sit in the smoke room, which illegal, but you know, I'm 18, what do I know? And just, you know, just washing. And uh, you do that, do anything repetitive like that eight hours a day, and it's going to affect <laughs> your dream life, <laughs> it turns out. So I'm, I'm at home and uh, asleep, and I have this dream that the cars are coming quicker than I can imagine, and I have a sponge in my hand, but it's way bigger than I can keep in my hand. And I kid you not, I wake up, and I'm washing my dresser with my pillow. I quit bubbles the next day. I'm not going to take this job into my dream life. No way. Uh, talk about Sisyphus. Talk about feeling like you're pushing the boulder up the hill. Uh, I saw online on TikTok or something with the caption, this is what pastoring or shepherding looks like. Watch, watch this. <laughs> You think you pull the sheep out of the... This is an interesting time in our generation. We, we seem to be on the verge of or, or possibly in a 
a recession, and yet job numbers are, are really good, that so much so that it can be actually hard to hire people these days. There's a new uh, shawarma place, which is my love language, near uh, where I live at the high school. And I just walked in to see, are you guys open yet? Are you got a takeout menu or whatever? And he was harried, and he's like, oh, sorry, uh, what we really need is, uh, is uh, people, you know? Uh, so I went home and I told my daughter, Leela, like, if you walk in right now, they would just hire you on the spot. Sure enough, she walked in and she's uh, my new shawarma connect. Um, we're post-COVID, but not really. There's supply chain issues. There's uh, employers no longer hold all the cards, do they? People have options. Often that's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Have you heard of this thing, quiet quitting? Like where you sort of do the minimum required of you because you don't really care if you get fired? That's not such a good thing. The work force is increasingly in flux. Some here today probably find themselves in between or with temporary jobs. The economy has changed. It's no one's fault. It's not even Trudeau's fault. It's just a reality. And uh, in some sectors of the economy, there are those who have maybe been replaced by computers or by a younger, more savvy, technical, technically savvy workforce. The days are behind us when, you know, individuals in any given field can work a lifetime and feel that there's some, you know, stability, employment for life, retire with a gold watch and, uh, and be with the same company where you start. I think of the places that I've lived at where the economy is just, I lived in Hamilton, Stelco and DeFasco were, were pillars, not so much anymore. I lived in Chatham where International, the, the truck making company, just employed half the city, not so much anymore. Uh, Windsor with, with Ford and, and GM. When I graduated from college, there was a big graduating class beside me of travel agents. I, I think they still exist, but um, the internet has largely made that job at very least niche. And, and maybe you chose a line of work when you were young and, and now that you've reached midlife, you found that what you had envisioned as the end goal hasn't really happened. It's no longer there even. Others come to an age where it feels like they're being dismissed by their organizations, which they gave their life to. And I, I, there's few things as painful as that feeling of being pushed out. Maybe you've had big work dreams unfulfilled and perhaps you thought you'd have your first million by now or that you'd be manager by now. For some of you, there's a literal crisis of employment, but for many of us, there's a, there's a crisis of meaning in our employment. You may have um, be caught up in a hectic work activity. You may have this sense of busyness that makes that makes us feel important. But when you allow your soul to catch up with your body, you sense that something is fundamentally missing in what you give the majority of your day to. Your work feels like you're Sisyphus, just pushing that boulder up a hill. We need to recover a theology of work, a theology of vocation, 
There's, there's a book that has been really helpful for me by, by Gordon T. Smith. He is our president at the um, Ambrose University, which is our alliance school, if you will, in Calgary. And, and, and he's a brilliant man and, and a great president. Uh, and I think the first thing you need to understand is that you are called. And I want you to understand the call of God in, in three distinct ways. First, there's the call to be a Christian. There's this, we're invited to respond to the love of Jesus who invites us to be disciples and to know the Father through him. The call is our fundamental identity. Everything about us is understood in the light of that call. Nothing matters more to us than that we are called by name by Jesus. It's, it's a call to God's salvation. Remember this old hymn, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. He, he calls us, but there's also this calling that we face every day uh, as disciples in response to you know, the multiple demands that we have on our life. You could call it the, the immediate call. Um, the call to be present at my kids' graduation or to help out at my church or to respond to my neighbor when they're in need. Those things that are placed before us by God. And that call may be nothing more complicated today than to help prepare dinner, but that may be the call for today. The danger is always that these immediate needs would crowd out our capacity to respond to our unique calling. And that's the third thing for each of us, that I believe there is a specific call, a defining purpose, a mission, a reason for being. Now, we can only understand that calling in light of the first calling, okay? When we fulfill our specific vocation, we are living out the full implications of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Therefore, while uh, we have this general call for all Christians to love God, love others, make disciples, I, I believe God has honored each of us with a unique call. All three of these calls need to be understood together. The, the Latin word vocare, means to call. And it's where we get the word vocation. Today, vocation often just means a job, right? But that wasn't the original sense. A job becomes a vocation only if someone calls you to it and you do it for them rather than for yourself. So our work can be a calling if it's seen as a, a mission, a service, to something beyond just our own interests. So instead of choosing jobs to empower ourselves or to, to recognize that, that being called by God is something empowering enough, the gospel frees us from the pressure to, to prove our worth through our work because we're already worthy. We're already proven through Christ. So if you are a Christian who's trying to be faithful in your work, you might find yourself wrestling with questions like, is this the way to serve God at work? And maybe further 
justice in the world? Um, is this a way to serve God at work that might evangelize my colleagues? Um, is, is it to just to do skillful, excellent work and create beauty in the world? Um, is it about glorifying God through, uh, through our work? And what, and what does that mean to glorify God? Is it through working with a grateful heart, even though it's hard? Um, is it to do whatever gives you the greatest joy and passion? Is the way to serve God to make as much money as you can so that you can be as generous as possible? These are good questions to wrestle with, and there's some truth in all of these questions. Maybe some you feel are opposed to each other, but it's easier for us to imagine how a Christian worldview directly influences maybe a writer or an artist or pastor. But what about the salesperson or the real estate agent or the Magna Center employee? Well, let's just go to scripture and find out God's design for work. And, it, and I want to begin right at the beginning, Genesis 2, verse 1 to 3 and 15. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden, verse 15, to work it and take care of it. So the Bible begins talking about work as soon as it begins talking about almost anything. That's how important and how basic it is. You know, it's a counterintuitive message maybe uh, that the Bible says work is good. Work is meaningful. Uh, work is a gift from God. Ooh, but pastor, you haven't met my boss. I'm telling you, it's, it's true. And this view of work is really distinct among other religions and belief systems. In the beginning, God worked. It's not something human beings were created to do that is somehow beneath God, right? No, God worked for the, for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have a more prestigious beginning, it's remarkable that in chapter one of Genesis, God not only works, but, but he finds delight in it. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God finds what he had done to be beautiful. He stands back and he takes it all in. He says, that's good. I did good. And, and I, I, I hope you have that experience. Sometimes it's more easier when... Uh, people who actually create something, who, who remodel a kitchen, and they can stand back and say, oh, that's good. But I hope we all get to experience that, even when maybe I, I can craft a sermon that is well communicated, that I can delight in that. Say, oh, that was good. The second chapter of Genesis goes on to show that God works not only to create, but also to care for his creation. So God creates human beings and then works for them as their provider. He forms man, he plants a garden for him, he waters it, fashions a partner for him. And the rest of the Bible tells us that God continues to work as our provider. Jehovah Jireh, caring for the world, 
Psalm 104 says he gives food to all he has made, giving help to all who suffer. Psalm 145, he cares for the needs of every living thing. So in Genesis 2.15, he puts human beings in the garden to work and care for it. Now, don't miss this part of Genesis. This is crazy. You do realize this was part of paradise, right? This is before the curse, before sin. Work is in paradise. This was clearly part of God's good plan, human beings working, or or rather working and resting, working and resting, working and resting. I, I can't tell you how discouraging it is to hear some of your misconceptions about what heaven will be like, what the, what the new kingdom will be like. You know, it, the new creation will not be like a creative, um, like, or, or sorry, some tableau where we sit around um, strumming a harp all day. The new creation will be a creative world. It's the hope of the new kingdom is not that we'll be released from work, but rather that our work will be in perfect partnership with God. Do you ever have that feeling at work? Like they call it, um, um, oh, what is it? When you're, when you're in the zone. Flow. flow, thank you. When you're in a state of flow and time just seems to go by and you kind of love what you're doing. And that, that's a taste, I think, of the kind of creative, fulfilling, meaningful work that we'll do in paradise. So even the prophet Isaiah speaks of this new heaven and this new earth where we will build houses and plant vineyards and enjoy the work of our hands. It was part of God's perfect design for human life because We were made in God's image, and part of his glory and his joy is that he works, as does the Son of God, who said, my father is always at his work, and to this very day, I too am working, he says in John 5. The fact that God put work in paradise is startling to a modern Christian, I think, because we so often think of work as a necessary evil or even punishment as Sisyphus. And and granted, there is a part of work that is a curse. And and we don't have time to get into that today. But I think we we have a good theology of how work is a curse. I want to restore the gift of vocation today. And before um, it was sin, it was blessed. It was in the garden. Could it be that work is as basic a need as food and rest and friendship and prayer and sexuality? Without meaningful work, we experience significant emptiness. Do you know people who have been cut off from work for one reason or another? Um, It's it's deeply unsettling. Um, My my brother Mike, who should still be off work, just can't do it. And uh, starting his own business and, and everything, uh, even though there are legit health issues that he, he I, I worry about him. Where is he? He what? Oh, good, good. So he wasn't know I'm talking. Oh, hey, Mike. Good to see you. Not different Mike. You don't know him. 
what, I mean, what does this mean for the stay-at-home parent who is doing some of the most significant work of their lives? Like, what does that mean for someone like, someone dear that we lost recently, like Peggy, whose deep contribution in prayer was her calling? So work is so foundational to our makeup, in fact, that it is one of the few things we can take in significant doses without harm. You know, the Bible says we, we should, shouldn't work one day and rest six. It says we should work six, day, six days and, and rest one. Leisure and pleasure are great goods, but we can only take so much of them. Uh, Linda knows this. I'm not sure if she's here today either, but if you ask people in nursing homes and hospitals how they're doing, often you'll hear that one of their big regrets is wishing that they had something more significant to do, a way to be useful to others. They feel they have, you know, too much leisure, not enough meaningful work. And that's painful because we're designed to be useful. Work is one of the ways we discover who we are because it's through work that we come to understand our distinct gifting. Don't make the mistake of thinking that Work is a curse, and that's something else. Leisure, even family, even church pursuits is the only way of finding meaning in life. Scripture exposes that lie, but it also keeps us from falling in the opposite ditch, that work is the only thing, the only important thing. Everything else is a necessary evil, something that we do strictly to recharge our batteries in order to continue the work. Uh, If you make any work the purpose of your life, even church ministry leaders, oh, ministry leaders, be careful. You create an idol that rivals God. I, I see it in pastors all the time. Apparently the irony is lost on them, working supposedly for Jesus, but who make the work their idolatrous God. Sometimes when we hate our job and just want to quit and invest everything in the lottery, it's a reminder that things are not how they ought to be. Work can be toil. Um, A reminder of the curse of sin. But work is not in and of itself a curse. It's not inherently a curse. We've been built for it and we honor it by recognizing its limits. Today, I think we need to recognize the dignity of work. There's there's an early Greek philosophy that we have partially adopted that says work, especially a certain kind of work, is beneath us. Often we take, um, or we make these value distinctions between knowledge vocations and, you know, so-called white-collar vocations and blue-collar or service or hospitality sectors. You know, many of us make these value judgments, and, and one of the consequences is that some people choose to be unemployed rather than do work that they feel is is beneath them. So a lot of service and manual labor falls into that category. There are those who are in the in the knowledge classes or uh, who who would show patronizing attitudes, even disdain for waitresses or handymen or valets or 
dry cleaners, those who provide a, a service. Yet all work has dignity because God says so. He has, he has dignity and work has dignity because God does it and because we do it as his representatives, as created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. In the scriptures, we are actually encouraged to work with our hands and uh, consistently in scripture, those who are masters of a, of a craft are celebrated like those who designed and created the Old Testament tabernacle. You know, in Exodus, it says Bezalel, the craftsman, is actually the first person in scripture who is said to be filled with the spirit. Put that in your Bible trivia pipe. We learn that God himself is a manual laborer. He, he shapes us out of dust. He plants a garden. Um, that is a revolutionary concept to, to many philosophies and cultures. If God were to come to earth, what would he be to the ancient Greeks? They'd want him to be a philosopher king. If, if he came to the ancient Romans, um, they'd want him to be a noble statesman of some sort. You know, I think to many of us today in 21st century Canada, we'd want the savior to come as a good looking, charming, articulate, maybe politician or celebrity or influencer of some kind. But how does, how does the God of the Hebrews come? The God of the universe as a carpenter, as a, as a tecton is the word, uh, the same noble calling as, as Steve Robinson. Paul, the greatest apostle of all, was a tent maker. When we live entirely in our heads and don't ever work with our hands, I think we miss out a, on a major dimension of life. Work is purposeful regardless of its pay. A gospel mindset says we don't have any basis for being condescending or superior, nor is there any basis for inferiority or, or envy. And I want to say this about so-called ministry versus other forms of work. We, we've said it before, but bears repeating. Whether we are called into the church or in the marketplace whether to manual work or to academic work, to the arts, to sciences, each call has this potential for sacredness. If a vocation represents a call of God to serve in the world, then that vocation is sacred because it comes from God. It's not helpful or, or accurate to, to label things of secular or sacred when it comes to vocation. The phrase is actually, I think, a contradiction. The homemaker, the car maker, uh, the preacher are all serving God. They all respond to the call of God and thus all have a vocation, a calling. If, if we, a people of grace, which means that, you know, religious works do nothing to earn the favor of God, then full-time church ministry obviously can't be seen as, as a superior form of labor. 
I, I remember hearing it at least implied when I was younger that if we really loved the Lord, we would be missionaries. And if not missionaries, then pastors. And if not missionaries or pastors, then at least business people who could support those things, uh, those who had the sacred callings. And, uh, you know, even the founder of our, of our movement of churches called the Christian Missionary Alliance, A.B. Simpson, I think maybe had unintentionally put an unnecessary burden when he said, your only excuse for staying home and not going to the mission field is by staying home, you can do more to further the cause of missions than by going. And that statement comes from a noble motive. And there's truth in that, obviously. In fact, we say, go be the church. Go go to your mission field uh, every week. But I'd hate to think how many thought that they had somehow firmed uh, or uh, somehow hadn't affirmed their, or celebrate the sacredness of their calling, which was not on the mission field. Listen, young adult, uh, teenager, God is calling people into education, into the arts, into public offices, into business, into engineering, into medicine, finance, service professions, quite literally into every sector of human life. And we are going to celebrate it here. Nowadays, thankfully, in our movement of churches, you know, we have this process of discernment to actually affirm those who are explicitly called to foreign mission fields. If, if you're not called, you know, we'll you'll likely be weeded out in this process. It's, it's one of the advantages of being part of a denominational family of churches like the Alliance that has a process where wise leaders speak into uh, potential international workers and, and who are able to say, we see this gifting in you. We affirm your passions and, and see God at work in your life. And we not only affirm you, but we will send you and support you. So all work has this dignity to it, but we also want to think of work as cultivation. What do I mean by that? I believe God is inviting us to continue his work of developing creation to fill the earth. And, and for human beings, filling the earth means more than just you know, reproducing the way plants and animals are to fill the earth. God wants us to fill the earth with society, with culture, with schools and hospitals and art galleries and homes and libraries and concert halls and fine dining, on and on and on. Farmers take the physical material of the seed and the soil and they cultivate it to produce food. And musicians take the physics of sound waves and rearrange it into something beautiful and thrilling called music. And Kathy Rothery takes the fabric and cultivates it into clothing. And Rob Baber takes, you know, harnesses the forces of electricity and channels it so that regular folks can plug in their fridges and their lights and their computers. When we do this, we are continuing God's work of forming and creating. Whenever we bring 
order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, we are following God's pattern of creative culture development, bringing about his kingdom. In fact, our word culture comes from this idea of cultivation, right? So whether splicing a gene, doing brain surgery, or collecting garbage, your work helps further, helps develop, helps maintain or repair the fabric of the world. I hope you can see that your work connects to God's work. Lastly, we need to see our work as service. Uh, In the New Testament, particularly the writings of Paul, we gain, I think, more insight into how God provides purpose in our work by calling us to serve the world. Here's what he says. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Paul uses those same two words, called and assigned in Romans and uh, 2 Corinthians when, he, when he's referring to spiritual gifts that build up the church. And, and, and Paul isn't referring to church ministries here. He's actually talking about regular jobs, and yet he names them as God's assignments and his calling. So just as God equips every Christian for, for building up the church, he also equips people with talents and gifts and skills of all kinds for different work for the purpose of building up the human community. And I want us to remember that something can be a vocation or calling only if someone calls you to it and you do it for their sake other than your own. So our daily work can be a calling if it is seen as God's assignment to serve others. And that's exactly how the Bible teaches us to view work. We see work as service to God and to our neighbor. So we, we choose and conduct our work with the gospel mindset. The question is no longer, what will make me the most money? What will give me the most status? But rather, how with my existing abilities and opportunities can I be of greatest service to people? One of the ways God cares for us and provides for us is actually by using other people. It's through other people. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, we say, give us this day our daily bread. It's a prayer of provision, all our provision. Well, doesn't God provide for us through the baker, the retailer, the website programmer, the truck driver, all contribute to provide us with food. And that's just one example of meeting our needs. You know, I think as parents, we, we want to give our children everything we need, but we, we also want them to be responsible. So we give our children chores, right? Now, there's a lot of times I could do the chores better myself. And sometimes out of frustration or expediency, I I might just do that. But in the long run, it's better for my kids that they grow in maturity and in character and skill by 
delegating those chores to them. Well, I wonder if God doesn't see it the same way, that he would give good gifts to us, gifts in the long run, by letting us contribute to our provision. Work is where we make ourselves useful to others, in which others make themselves useful to us. Imagine, just imagine that everyone quits working right now. What happens? We got a little taste of it during COVID, didn't we? Just a tiny taste of it. But imagine everyone just quit working all at once. About two days, food vanishes from shelves. Gas dries up at the pump. Streets are no longer patrolled. Fires burn. Uh, Communication and transportation services end. Water and utilities end. The garbage piles up. Those who survive at all are soon huddled around one of those Glen, you know, shelters, uh, assuming I could even make a fire, uh, clothed in raw animal hides. uh, You know, the difference between the wilderness and uh, a zombie apocalypse, you know, and culture is simply work. You know, maybe one of the great ways we can love our neighbor, whether you are writing software or writing books or writing parking tickets, is simply to do your work skillfully and competently. Work is unto the Lord, Paul says. If we can't find spiritual meaning in our work, it feels like we're in danger of living this dual life, this compartmentalized life, not connecting what we do on Sunday morning with what we do the rest of the week, where we don't just come to church, but we go and, oh, it's like your first time here or something. We don't just come to church, but we go and be the church. Hey, we're not all equally talented in the same way. Some of us are more gifted in areas than others. Humble people acknowledge this, but humility also demands that we accept the talents that we do have. You know, I think the parable of the talents is a powerful reminder to invest your talents as good stewards. And we, we can't be good stewards until we acknowledge the gifts and abilities that we do have. Maybe there's some younger people who are struggling with vocation options. Maybe you're at a, a career crossroads this morning. There's no easy answers to that. I have, I have young adults in my house who just aren't sure what the future holds vocationally for them. But more than anything, if you would understand God's call, the dignity of work, the way that we can love the world through work means that we start asking different questions Not so much, how much money will I earn? But questions like, how have you gifted me, God? What is is the deepest desire of my heart? Where do I personally sense needs in the world? What is my unique personality or temperament? And, And Jesus reminds us that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. You know, if a yoke is easy, you know, it's this thing that he put on oxen. What it means is that it it fits, it fits us. It's designed around the contours of who we are. And so if you get this, 
you can find satisfaction and purpose in your work, even if your job is by, by worldly standards, not exciting, not high paying, but it fits you. Your daily work is, is ultimately an act of worship to the God who called and equipped you to do it, no matter what kind of work it is. I'm, let me close with this. And this is, this is dedicated to my small group, uh, friends, all of whom seem to love music. Kevin and Cheryl, who have a great hi-fi sound system. Keith and Elizabeth, who have this history of parents with amazing record collections. Uh, Johnny Asbury, who's the real musician among us, and uh, my wife, obviously, the Garbies, who love music, who took us to the concerts. John Coltrane was a virtuoso sax player, and he has this masterpiece called A Love Supreme. And in the liner notes, here's what he writes. This album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do it in our hearts and with our tongues. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. Amen. So God, would you strengthen us now on this Labor Day in every good endeavor? May we see the dignity of work. May we model our work after you who delighted in what he had created and then rested. I want to bless you this morning. I, I, would, you, would you stand if you are at all connected to health care or education and, and in any way, if you work in a hospital admin or, or uh, teach or in a daycare, uh, anything with health or education? Yeah, good. Just stand, just stand, good. Lord, bless these folks. I pray that you would give them uh, a new filling of your spirit, that part of the healing that you bring into this world is, is through our healthcare professionals, through our teachers. I pray that they would not grow weary in doing good. Bless them now in Jesus' name. Would you stay standing, stay standing. If you are in any kind of service industry where you're serving others, um, uh, uh, even sales, uh, would you just stand right now serving, sailing, sailing, salesing, hospitality in any way? Would you just stand? Yeah, right on. Lord, I thank you for the servers in our midst. Who, who see their sacred duty as loving others, giving them resources, hospitality, service. It is a gift from God. It is a spiritual gift to be able to serve. I pray that they would serve well, knowing that they're not just serving their neighbor, not just serving their clients, but they're serving the living God. Give them a new and fresh calling for it today in Jesus' name. Stay standing. Who works with their hands? Anybody works with their hands in any way? Yeah, good. Will you stand if you work with your hands? Uh, works in a, in a factory maybe or, or um, does repairs of any kind? Will you stand? Yeah. 
Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who actually create, can step back and say, oh, I delight in what I have fixed, created. They are so important to us, Lord. I pray, God, that like Bazelia Bazelia in Exodus, you would fill them with your spirit, Lord. They would recognize the worth, the dignity, uh, the, the, the art inherent in what they do. Anybody who is a boss, stay standing. Anybody who's a, a boss, a manager, an owner, would you stand? Anybody who would say you're in kind of white collar jobs, would you just stand? Yeah. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who need some leadership gifts, who are at sometimes in the firing line of people who uh, complain about them, who need to be led by them. It's not always a fun place to be. I pray that you give them strength, give them leadership ability like David. I, I pray that their mind would not be foggy, but that you would give them spirit of a sound mind in Jesus' name. Give them creativity. Ask it in Jesus' name. Would everybody just stand right now? Yeah. Lord, I pray for the retired. May they not see this as a time just because they're not receiving a paycheck, uh, a time of uh, non-contribution. I thank you for the Peggies of the world, the barrels of the world, who consider prayer their calling. Those who have given great amounts of time volunteering and maybe even are, are finding their true calling in their retirement years. Continue to call those who are retired. I pray for those who are at a job, vocational crossroads, Lord. Would you give them clear direction? When they ask Jesus, direct my paths, would you speak to them clearly, I pray. Open doors, close doors as you see fit, but direct their paths. I pray that you desire to do that. I know that you do. For those who hate their job this morning, I pray that you would open other doors or renew their, their God perspective on how they view this job. I pray they'd see it as a, as a way to serve the world and to serve you. For all the jobs I've forgotten in the arts and in television and in uh, radio, sports, all kinds of, of different jobs, Lord. I, I pray your blessing on it. I pray that you would um, affirm calls today. I pray ultimately that we would have the attitude of Christ, which opens up hands and says, Lord, I, I'm available. I'm available to work for your kingdom, for your mission, for your glory, for our good. 
May we be available, Lord, listening to your call with open hands, open hearts, ready. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stay standing.